So we're starting a new sermon series today, um, and a series focused uh, on Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, this, this series is titled Full Armor of God, and again, we're going to be studying for the next several weeks kind of the different parts of the armor of God as they're found at the end of this New Testament letter. And before we kind of jump into the specifics of our text for this morning, I just want to start out and to say that, again, the book of Ephesians is a letter like a lot of the New Testament books are. Again, they, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, um, to, and it was written to a, a church in the city of Ephesus, just like many of his letters were written to specific churches or specific people or situations. Now, the, the book of Ephesians, though, um, like I said, a letter written by Paul is a little bit different than some of his other letters. It, most of his letters are, were, were written because of specific issues or specific topics or problems that were happening within these churches, and that he would speak to these more very specific things. The book of Ephesians is a little bit different in that he doesn't address any one specific problem. He gives some more bigger picture advice to the church. He gives, talks about several big picture um, issues and purposes that God has for the church. Like I said, and does not address any specific issues like he does in many of his other letters. This, a quick intro into this letter is that Paul starts off with the very foundation of our faith, and he reminds the church in Ephesus and, and reminds all that would eventually read this letter that everything starts and is about Jesus. Right? That Christ is the foundation of everything we believe. That he is the way we are saved, that, that he, again, defines the church, and he is supposed to be the foundation and the cornerstone of the church, and that Jesus is also the head of the church. And Christ is also the source of unity that binds all believers together. Because again, just as we saw last week, right, the church is not a building, it's not a Sunday morning activity, the church is God's people united together. Right? And, and Paul reminds us of that as he starts off in Ephesians. As it, as it all starts with Christ, and it's all about Jesus, right? then he kind of builds on top of that as he, as he emphasizes several other big picture topics. He talks about the importance of unity and how we are supposed to be united together right, as a team of followers of Jesus. He also addresses how the church needs to mature and continue to grow, not only in our own faith, but even as a church and as a body of believers, that we should be moving forward and growing and maturing. He addresses the need for spiritual gifts and, and addresses many different specific roles, especially church leadership in the book of Ephesians. And then he moves on from there and, and he addresses several different personal relationships and, and interactions in the way that that should look at our everyday life as we interact with other people, especially with other believers. Again, there is so much to learn and so much to apply and to live out in the book of Ephesians. And yet we're not going to look at any of that in this series. Right, but I tell you that to set up what we are looking at because the final topic that he addresses in this letter, these big picture things for the church, okay, is spiritual warfare. And that's where we're going to focus our time these next several weeks. And again, he, the final topic he addresses is how the, how the church is on the front lines of this great spiritual conflict. 
Again, he, he, he gives us the foundation, first of the fact of the foundation of this war and, and all those things. And again, that's what we're going to see today as we dive into these, to these intro verses into this full armor of God, as he tells us. Right, we're going to, in a, in a sense, we're going to learn from Paul the rules of engagement in this great cosmic war. And again, when we think about, when you hear that word war, we, our mind usually naturally moves to a military context. Right, when you think about war, right, there's military involved. And, and with that said, right, we know we live in a world, right, where there have been many wars. Right, and in fact, we know that there will probably be many more in our world. Okay, now, there's this thing with war, and especially around the military, known as the rules of engagement. Now, the rules of engagement are things that are usually established by these different military authorities. In fact, many times in our world now, the United Nations plays this role as far as the, the rules of engagement that are set out for the countries of the world. Again, rules of engagement in a military context are the orders that are issued by the authorities that, that will delineate when, where, how, and against whom military force may be used. They, and they have implications for what actions soldiers may take on their own authority and what directives may be issued by commanding officers. Again, it's the rules of the fight. And again, these are mutually agreed upon across our world. And again, some nations live up to them better than others, right? But, but we have these rules of engagement. And again, when you think about in a military war, there, again, there are things, and again, if you don't live by the rules, then there are consequences to that. Now, to step out of that, we are involved in all kinds of conflicts and competitions in our world, in our lives all the time. And the same concept is true, not only in, in world wars and these rules of engagement, but even something like a sports competition, we have set rules, right? On foundational things that everybody agrees upon. These are things you can do, and these are things that you can't do. Right? And again, we come into that, even in a sports competition, right? Both teams go into it wanting to win. Right? And we, we understand, right, that in any kind of competition or sports game, right, is both teams cannot win. Right? And yet, again, we, we mutually agree on these rules of engagement. What are the rules? And, and what happens if you break them? Right? There are consequences. Again, key, sometimes, again, more fairly than others, something to keep in mind as we watch the game today, right? Like, we have rules. But again, not only in, in the military context, not only in the sports context, but many other things, we have these, these rules that we should live by. Again, if you are married, right, you understand, right, that there are no perfect marriages. They, that, that conflict and disagreements is a part of every marriage. Again, if you think that there is a perfect marriage where those two spouses never disagree on something, um, I, you're in for a rude awakening because it's not true. Right? Every marriage has conflict and disagreements. Again, it, it, as a part of our um, premarital counseling, when Maureen and I, before we got married, we went through, and our, our premarital counselor talked about, again, how there is, there is issues in every marriage, and a healthy marriage is not one that doesn't have issues. A healthy marriage is, is one that you can work through them in a, in a constructive and, and fair way. 
Like, one of the things that our premarital counselor encouraged us to do was once to air out, even, even he literally asked us, what's your biggest fear going in? What do you think is going to be the source of conflict between you, you know, in your marriage? And we kind of talked about those things, and he encouraged us to establish some rules of engagement within our marriage. I say, how do you communicate as a problem? What, how do you work through that and solve those things? And how do you, again, come out stronger on the other side? Yeah, I'll tell you, as Maureen and I talked about these, one of the, the rules of engagement for us in our marriage is, is that divorce is never an option. Right? And we both mutually agree that neither one of us are getting out of it alive. Okay, now again, it's kind of funny we say that, but yet at the same time, as I know that again, and we've disagreed on things, but yet we can come together in that and know, right, that that is not a card either one of us will ever play. It's out of bounds, right? We're going to work it out. We're going to figure it out. We're going to come and be unified back together. Again, it doesn't mean that we never disagree, right? But it's a way that we know, again, that we can fight fair. Right? Now, again, with that said, these rules of engagement, like how, how do these apply then to, to what Paul's teaching us here? They, the, these first verses, these intro verses into this section, this final section of the letter, right, are in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And in these few verses, as he intros into these foundational truths of the spiritual conflict, okay, he is giving us the rules of engagement of this spiritual war. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, there are Bibles provided for you in the seats that you're welcome to use. And you'll notice on the outline is the page number of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. So we'll open up again, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. So Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Okay, now as we read these, again, these, these intro verses into this, this final section, and as again, Paul gives us these foundational truths of this great spiritual conflict. Okay, so we're starting off the, the foundational truth number one, okay, and that is that human power won't bring victory. Only God's power will. Okay, as a human, right, we are set up to fail in this cosmic battle if we use our power. He, he establishes this again in, in verse 10, as, as he says, again, a final word, meaning like this is the last topic that I'm going to address to you in this letter about the church. Okay, and in the final word, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Again, it is about God, it's not about us. Right, as he's addressed all of these different issues and topics and different things we need to know about the church, about the, the body of believers. He says, this final thing you need to know is to be strong in the Lord because it is in his mighty power that you stand. 
right? It is Christ who is the head of the church. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. He is what unites you together, and he is what you need to turn to, period. Without him, you are destined to fail. Without him, there will be all kinds of divisions. There will be all kinds of of things not honoring of God happen if you do not rely in the Lord and his mighty power. Now again, I encourage you on your outline or by whatever, is to underline or circle that word Lord. Okay, that is a very, very key reference in this foundational truth. Because again, it's God's power, it's not my power. Now again, God is incredibly powerful. Right, one of the reasons we worship God, right, because he is, he contains all, he's all powerful. But God's power is, is manifested its way in a few different ways in our lives as followers of Jesus. First off is that he's, his power is shown in the fact that he is our savior. Now again, we use this phrase many times, and we use it a lot, and we use it and don't even think about it. It says, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Okay, but those are two different things. Is Christ our Savior? Absolutely. Right? It is through Christ that we are saved. Again, as our Savior, we see God's power manifested over sin and death. Right? It's what we celebrated today when we take communion. It's what we're reminded of every time we, we take communion. Right, is that he is our savior. Right, that he conquered death through his, through his death right, and his resurrection on the third day. And it is by that power that was manifested in the resurrection that we are saved. Right, that we, our sins are forgiven, we are washed clean, that we are you know, restored to a full relationship with our creator. Right? It is by now being able to fully know God through Jesus is salvation. That is our Savior. We see God's power in our salvation. But notice that's not what Paul addresses here. Is he our Savior? Absolutely. But when it comes to the battle, you be strong in the Lord. Because Lord, we see God's power in a very different way as our Lord. Right? Our Savior, we see God's power over sin and death. As our Lord, we see God's power in my daily life. Right? In my attitudes, in my actions, in my, my perspective of the world, in how I make decisions, in, in how much I pray, in, in how much I worship, in, in what I worship. Right? We see God's power manifested in our daily life as our Lord. Right, and that's what we describe right, in our vision as our journey with Christ. Right, we join the journey when he, Jesus becomes our Savior. Right, and we move forward in our journey right, as a part of the process of him truly becoming our Lord. Meaning that everything in my life is focused towards him in my daily attitudes and actions and perspectives and decision making and relationships. And Paul tells us to be strong in the Lord. Again, he's telling us that this, this is, again, God's power in your daily life. This is something you're going to deal with on an ongoing basis. Right? Continue to, to rest in his power. 
Right? And it's not just any power. It is mighty power. Right? It is more powerful than we can imagine anything else in all of creation. And it's that same power that is transforming our hearts, right? As he becomes more and more our Lord and we become more like Christ every day, right? As we continue to journey in our faith. And again, just like anything that, that, that we are, are told to do as followers of Jesus, if we try to do it on our own power, we are going to fail. Because if we can do it ourselves, then we don't need Jesus. And guess what? We all need Jesus. Because we are resting in his power. And that's foundational truth number one. Don't try to do it on your own. Do it with God's power. It has to be God's power. That foundational truth number two. And that is that we do, don't get to choose if we are involved. Right? We don't get to choose if we're going to be involved in this great spiritual war. And notice again, what does he tell us in verse 11? Okay, he tells us to put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Hey, notice there, there's no if in this advice. Right? Again, he just says, he's like, hey, you got to put on this armor because you have to stand firm. Because... There are strategies of the devil that are going to come against you. It's not if he shows up, you might want to keep this in mind. No, it's just you have to do this. We do not get to choose if we are involved. Again, if you are human, and if, which, and if you're human, it means you were made in God's image. And if you are made in God's image, then you are involved. Right? Because, again, we are not the one picking the fight. We don't get to choose if we're involved in this or not. Right? The fact that you are human and you're created in God's image means that you bear the image of your creator, which means that the enemy doesn't like you. Because the enemy doesn't like God. Because as Scripture tells us, we're going to talk about it a little bit right? later, is that the enemy wants to be God. And yet, he's not. But going back to this, right? The God's power, that, that God is more powerful than the enemy. And so he, his, his defeat is already set. He cannot beat God, but, but he can hurt what God loves. Is the only way he can hurt God. And so if you are human, if you are, are made in God's image, then you are automatically involved because he can't, beat God, but he can mess with us because we, again, are what God loves. Okay, so we don't have a choice whether we're going to be involved. However, we do have a choice to make when it comes to this great spiritual war. Okay, the choice we have to make is whether we are going to fight back or whether we're just going to be target practice. That's the choice we get to make. Right, and that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. He's like, hey, you don't have a choice whether you're going to be involved or not. But you do have a choice as to whether you're just going to be taken out as target practice or whether you're going to fight back. Whether you're going to stand firm. Whether you're going to defend yourself and your God. 
Right? And that's what he's encouraging us to do, right? Again, he's not telling us to pick a fight. He's saying you're already in the fight, right? What is he telling us, though? He says, put on the armor and stand firm. And that starts, again, with acknowledging that there's a battle. Acknowledging that the war exists. Because the easiest battle to win is one where the target doesn't know they're a target. Right? If you don't acknowledge the fact that you're automatically involved in this war, then you're very easy to take out. Right? The easiest battle to win is if the target doesn't know that it's a target. Like knowledge is everything. Right? Knowledge changes this. Again, the fact, and that's why Paul tells us, he's like, hey, you're in this war. So put on the armor, stand firm. Don't get taken out. Don't be target practice anymore. Okay, you know this is happening. Yeah, you think about knowledge. Think, think about hunting and fishing. And I know we have a lot of kind of out, outdoors people that love hunting and fishing. Right? Think about, again, think about that deer. Think about that trout. Right? If those animals knew that they were being tricked or knew they were being hunted, they would act differently, wouldn't they? Again, if the fish looks at that, I'm like, boy, that looks good, but I know there's a hook in it. So I'm not going to eat it. Knowledge is everything. Right? That, that buck hears that call, right? It says, oh, she sounds great. But I don't think that's a real doe. Right? Knowledge is everything. If they know the truth, they would never get hunted or killed or caught. Right? And the same is true for us. Right? And that's why Paul is telling us, he's like, this war exists. You do not get to choose if you are involved. You can educate yourself and be ready to stand firm. Again, it's, it's that not just Paul. I mean, again, Peter, the Apostle Peter also addresses this. Okay? In 1 Peter 5.8. When he says, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, knowledge is power. Right? He say, he's prowling around. So protect yourself. Don't get eaten. Right, that's the most profound advice you'll ever get from Scripture, right? From Peter himself. Don't get eaten. Stand firm. Be alert. And Paul also addresses this in a little different way uh, in one of his other letters, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, he's addressing a specific issue with some specific people, and then he throws in this little nugget of knowledge in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, right, where he says, Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And he's telling that church in that moment, and in this, this situation with all those people, he's like, hey, let's open our eyes to what's really happening here. We are being messed with by the enemy. We know that he does that. Don't let him win. We don't get to choose if we're involved. But we do get to choose if we will stand up and fight back. And then Paul moves on to foundational truth number three. 
in verse 12, and where he tells us that we need to identify the real enemy. Again, we can't fight until we know who the real enemy is. Otherwise, again, we just end up with friendly fire. Right? And that's not what we want. Again, and unfortunately, friendly fire happens in every military conflict. Right? If communication is not done well. Right? And the same is true in the spiritual battle, which is why, again, we need to identify the real enemy. And he tells us in verse 12, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Again, he, he identifies for us who the real enemy is. Again, I, I encourage you, to underline or circle the phrase, not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We are not to fight against other people or other believers or even non-believers. Right? It's saying this is a spiritual battle. We are not fighting other people. And I will say that there is far too much fighting in the church. And most of it is focused on absolutely, blatantly the wrong things. The real enemy doesn't have to even be involved. Because if we are fighting with each other and keeping people away from God ourselves by our own actions and choices, why would the enemy even waste their time getting involved? The real enemy doesn't even have to be involved in everything. Because the real enemy is not like God. He isn't God. Again, I think that's one of the greatest deceptions the enemy has, uses to get us off track. It is, is we, it's easy for us when you think about this war right, that we are involved in here to, 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 to give God-like attributes towards the enemy. And, and it's not true. It's a lie. Again, Scripture tells us the truth about the enemy. In Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9, it says, Then there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. That's the enemy. That's his real identity, right? That's the real enemy. Again, Satan and his demons are fallen angels. They are not God, and they do not have God-like attributes. Again, God is all-knowing. They are not. God is omnipresent, meaning he can be everywhere at one time. They are not. God is all-powerful. They are not. God is the ultimate authority. They are not. Right? God is motivated by love. They are motivated by hate. Don't give the enemy any credit it doesn't deserve. It is not God. Satan and his enemies are not God. Because God and the enemy... Again, they're all the unseen world. And, 
And again, so it's easy for us to confuse their abilities with God's abilities, but they're not God. And again, that's the, the greatest deception I believe that the enemy uses is that they get credit for things that they don't deserve. And that's a lot of where the fear comes from against Satan and, and demons, right? It's thinking, oh, they, you know, they, they, they're all in the present. They're all in the They're not. Right? And that is the main weapon of the enemy. That is deception. Again, because it comes down again to the very foundation of, of identifying the enemy. The fact is that God is truth. Everything God tells us is truth. And yet they are full of lies. Jesus identifies this, this again, to the disciples and, and to us as he tells them in John 8, 44. Jesus says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Again, I wish Jesus was a little more clear. What does he really mean? Right? The enemy is not God. And we cannot give the enemy or any demons godlike attributes. Again, this, this is exactly what the serpent did in the garden with Adam and Eve. Used deception to tempt them. And they believed the deception and they acted on the lie. Again, the enemy uses the same tactic today, and it works just as well. We believe the lies to be the truth, and it affects the way we live our life, and it affects the way we serve our God. Again, there are many lies in our culture that even many believers follow. I say one, again, we, as we... I'm talking with some of the leadership of, of, our, of our men in our church, and we really wanted to step up our men's ministry here as a part of our church. And again, one of the things that we have been talking about is, again, one of these major deceptions that many men believe. Right? And that is that men believe the lie that if they fully surrender themselves to Jesus, that it makes them weak. And this is a deception, and it is, it's a lie. It's, just, it's not true. And yet, it's something that holds many men back in their faith. Again, that's just one example of so many deceptions and lies that, that, that are easy to believe, that just are not true. Right, in fact, the truth is, if you fully surrender yourself to Jesus as a man, it actually makes you more of a man. That's the truth. Because God created you as a man. Right? And God knows what a real man is. But again, we don't even turn to God for the definition of masculinity. Because we believe deceptions. And we treat them as truths. But we have to identify what they really are. They're lies. And again, and where, where, how do we do that? How do we identify? We compare them to a known truth. This is our known truth. Right? And that's true of so many things. And the final foundational truth then we see in, in this passage is foundational truth number four, and that is this, that we need the full armor of God. We need every piece. In Ephesians 6.13, again, as he wraps up this intro section, he says, Therefore, 
Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in a time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. After the battle, you will still be standing firm. But again, what's the key? The key is every piece. All of it. Again, how do we fight back against the enemy? We put on the entire armor of God that he now then describes in the following verses. Right? We put on God's armor. We put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and we cover all of it in constant prayer. That's the full armor of God. Because if one of those areas is weak, then it leaves us vulnerable. We need the full armor. Every piece is important. And so we're going to spend the next several weeks diving deeper into what these pieces are and why they're so important. Because we need the full armor. Because we're going to fight back. We're not going to be target practice anymore. We're going to live fully into who God created us to be. And again, I just want to, just as a general warning right now to us as a church, is be ready to fight. Because we're calling out the enemy, and he doesn't like it. So be ready to stand. Right? Remember, to, remember these foundational truths. Right? Because again, as we, as we focus on what we're supposed to do, right, is the battle is going to rage on. But we, as a church, are going to stand firm and we're going to fight back. Which leads me to my final thought this morning. And that is this. Because we are created by God, in his image, we are engaged in a cosmic war between good and evil. But with God's power, we can stand firm and find victory. Are you ready to fight back? I hope you are. I'm ready to fight. Are you ready to fight? And as we fight, again, we're going to do it with God's power as our Lord. You don't try to do it on your own. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to join the journey today and receive him as your Savior. And that's how you start to fight back. If you are a believer in Jesus, then we stand together in unity and we fight as a church. Because victory is already sealed. Right? God already wins. We know that. So let's fight together. Lord God, we praise you today, God, that you are wonderful to us. God, you stepped into our world, God, and and took on this battle against evil. God, and Lord, you found victory through your death, through your resurrection, and you conquered sin and death so we could be saved, and we praise you and worship you for that today. God, we also thank you, Lord, that now we are on your side in this cosmic battle, that you win. God, the end is already written. And God, help us to fight for you, to stand firm. God, to not be rattled by the enemy, but God, to be unified through Christ. God, we worship you today. We praise you and thank you. Lord, that you're going with us as we lead today, as we go into this world and as we fight and stand for you. God, help us to stand firm, to rest in your truth. God, to fight with your power, not our own. 
as we go this week. Lord, help us to stand for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.